0: This day in um, American history will go down just as December 7th, 1941, as far as Pearl Harbor Day, as we think about uh, the events that happened 10 years ago. And this is, this is a Sunday in which you could build a message around that whole experience. I was just thinking of Joe out here. Joe's uh, birthday is on this particular day in the month of September. And so he remembers it in terms of life, but we think of it in terms of, of death and tragedy within our culture. But as many have uh, looked at this, and this is kind of a pre-message before the real message, is that as we reflect upon 9-11, what what have we learned as a nation after uh, 10 years? And what should we remember? Now, there's much that could be said about that, but let let me make two simple points this morning. One is that we ought to recognize that everyone has to struggle with the issue of evil. There was a period of time in which those who were outside the faith... Uh, said it was always it's all about religious people's problem with evil. And, and so as we think about that, uh, for some, as you think about evil happening, how do you explain it? Uh, Richard Dawkins, who gets a lot of airtime because he's considered the Einstein of our particular age, he's the smartest man in the world, supposedly, and there's a lot of different programs you'll see him on as he, he speaks about life and where it came from and the meaning of life. Uh, but this is what he says about life. Human life is nothing more than a way for selfish genes to multiply and reproduce. There is no meaning or dignity to humanity. So his explanation for evil is this evil happens. Uh, There is another answer to evil, and there's, there's much more that can be said about it. The other very simple biblical explanation is that a holy God created A people to love him and to respond to his gracious offer of life. And we rebelled against him. And evil came into this world. The other real issue is, as far as dealing with evil and recognizing its reality, is where is there hope? Now, for many, hope is found, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you find yourself politically, they, they find hope in a political solution. But we've gone through administration after administration after administration, and ultimate hope will not be found in a human political leader. That true hope, which is a confidence of a preferred future, where righteousness reigns, where justice is in the land and there is no sorrow there is no pain there is no tear will come when the one who created us comes again and so we reflect upon this day in history in which evil was displayed we can look ahead to the one who is going to deal with evil when he comes again let's pray there's really only two approaches to life, that life happened by chance, it's random, there is chaos within our universe, and it's only the survival of the fittest, and who knows what's going to happen next. And there really is no sense of dignity or purpose in humanity because it just, just happened. Or we are part of a divine plan, one that you instituted and created. And as we look to the future, we can be confident that what you have begun, you will finish. Even as we think about Jesus this morning, as we reflect upon who he is, that, that he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. That our hope, our confidence of a preferred future, is found not just in wishful thinking, but in the truth that you came and invaded history in your Son and declared openly who you are, and invited us to participate in life with you. Now, Father, as we look at your Word, might you speak into our hearts today? And we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, on the back of these shirts that maybe you've seen some people running around with, and on the back says. Uh, living together, and a larger phrase on that is, we do life better together, is really, that's kind of a a statement that focuses on, you can call our many churches within our, our homes, our life groups, but really it's a statement about life in general, and even more specifically, life within God's program for God's people. And the word for church, interesting enough, in the original language, comes from a word which simply could be translated, the assembly. And we really believe that if if you really understand what it means to know God in a personal way, you realize it's not a private faith. It's a public faith, done not alone, but with other people. But the question is, well, how well do we do it? How well do we live out what God wants us to live? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a particular book in the New Testament that speaks about, in fact, models for us what the church should be. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to First Thessalonians, and we'll look at that briefly as we just see unfolded what a church ought to be, what ought to look like, the model church. Now, if you're turning to that passage, First Thessalonians, it's interesting, as we find out about this church, we find out we, a lot of things about the heart of the church. But a lot of things that we look for in churches, there is no record of it. For instance, there's nothing said about the pastor. Now, that's completely disappointing to me. But in this model church, the model church is not portrayed basically by the person who is maybe the most upfront leader of that church. Because really, that's not what the church is all about, about the talking head up front. And so we know nothing about really the pastor. We know who, who was the founding leader in bringing that church together. God used Paul and, and Timothy and Silas. But after that, after they left, and that's really when health came, we don't know anything about their leadership. Also, we don't know a whole lot about their programs. Now, often when we go to churches, we'll we'll kind of look at, well, what are they doing? What what are they involved in? What do they have for my kids? What do they have for my age? What are some things that I could be involved in that would be fun or meaningful? But we know nothing about the program of the church. Nothing about the pastor, nothing about the program. We actually know little about the people. We know it's multi-ethnic because as you look at the, the story of the church, it's found in Acts 17, just a few verses, verses 1 through 9. We know that it was filled with both Gentiles and Jewish people. But beyond that, we really we really don't know a whole lot. We don't know how generational it was in terms of how many little kids there were, how many seniors, how many teenagers, how many young adults. We really don't know a whole lot about the people. We don't know the numbers. We don't know if it was a small church or... Mid-sized church, or big church, mega church, know nothing about that. Uh, We know one thing, if you know the peas are wild already, don't know anything about the pastor, don't know anything about the programs, don't know anything about the people. We do know this, it wasn't a perfect church. In fact, because there's a commentary right after this church that just has a revival in his community, and things are happening. In fact, the description of Paul and his three friends, his two friends, actually, that left that place that these were the people who were turning the world upside down. We like to kind of change it around and say it's the turning the world up, uh, upside, but not upside down. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a church that recognized lives were being changed. But we know it was not a perfect church because right after that, Paul goes to another town and said, you know, these people, they were even more noble-minded. They were, they were much more open to the word of God than even the people in Thessalonica because it says For they received the word eagerly, examining the scripture to see what Paul was saying was actually true. The, the church, interestingly enough, was, was, was birthed after Paul went into a religious place, a synagogue, which required at least 10 male Jews to have a synagogue. And he went in there, and he built the church on on arguing with them. Discussing, or to put a much more tame word on it, reasoning with them about what God's program was all about. And the message was very simple. He was, he was reasoning to them about what the Messiah was to be. And he was reasoning about this way. He said, I want you to understand the Messiah, when he comes is going to have to suffer. Now, for them who was hearing this, maybe for the very first time, that was beyond imagination that that was part of God's program. The Messiah was the one who was to come and, and solve all the evils in the world. Take all the things that are going wrong and make it right. To set the captives free physically and politically and economically. But they missed it. The Messiah was to come to suffer and to die. And then the good news that he was to rise from the dead. So he argued from the scripture, reasoned from the scripture about the Messiah. And then he made this point. Oh, and by the way, Jesus is the Messiah. Or, or to use the words that we're more comfortable with, he argued or reason with them about the Christ. And then that, that Jesus is the, what? Christ. Remember, Jesus' last name is not Christ. Okay, it's, He is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. So, so the church is birthed. And Paul, because kind of a riot was produced as they respond to the gospel, he's kind of run out of town. And he's run out of town, and we don't know exactly how long he was there. If you take just the, the words that are described there, he was there for three Sabbaths. And then there's kind of a wiggle room. Well, did he, was he only there for three weekends? Most kind of look at the text and feel that he's maybe there four or five months, but even if he was there only four or five months, he birthed this church and didn't have a whole lot of time to, to ground them in the Word of God. But after he left, he started to worry about them. You ever worry about your kids? Any parents here worry about your kids? Well, these weren't his, his, his birth kids, but these were his spiritual kids. And he began to worry about them. And so uh, he sent Timothy back to find out what was going on. And he found out that in this place that he had just left and found some people even more known and than them in Berea, that things were happening. And the church was, was a modeled church. A church you could look at and say, this is a church you ought to, ought to belong to. This is not a church you ought to be involved with. This is not a church that you ought to see this is what it's all about. Well, this morning we're, we're going to pick out of the text. What was it about this church that made it be the happening place? It wasn't the pastor, it wasn't the programs, it wasn't the people. We know they didn't start off perfectly. But God used this place to be a place where God manifested himself in the life of of those who knew him. If you have your outlines this morning, this is is what we'll be running through this morning. What to look for in a church. First of all, and if you are here with us last week, hopefully you would would say, hey, this resonates with familiar themes that that Paul has as he writes to churches. What should you look for in church? Is there joy in the church? Is there joy there? Look what he says in 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 6 and 7. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. Having received the word in much affliction, which is simply to say sometimes when you hear something from God, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be the thing. Well, yeah, I'll I'll buy into that because it will simply make life easier and better. Initially, when they responded in faith, it wasn't an invitation to have have a life down the easy road. It was down a path where suffering and affliction would happen. But then he says this. You received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. It's interesting, and this is where we get the idea that they were a model church. He said, because of how you responded to God, because of your joy, you became the model. You became the, the example that others look to. This is what it's all about. The word example is, is a word in which simply means to, to make your mark or to make an impression. It's, it's taking your fist and, and, and slamming it into some clay and you see that you can have the imprint of your knuckles on whatever you threw your, your fist, fist into. It's putting your thumbprint in some, some paint and putting it on a, on a piece of paper and, and you've made your mark. He you said They have made a mark. They made an impression. It was because they had joy in their life. And this was a the theme throughout his, his writings him at first Thessalonians, look at the last chapter in chapter five or sixteen. He, he, he talks about that they are a joy, and then he says, "I want you to understand that this is something I want you to always do." First Thessalonians chapter five verse sixteen, Rejoice how often? always And if you want to be in a church that really is a church that understands what it's all about, recognize you ought to be around people who have a joy in their faith. Now, let's be honest. It's not always easy to have joy, is it? And so we need to understand again what, what joy is. And we talked about that last Lord's Day. Uh, but, but a joy is, is not simply happiness, which is based on hap- happenings in your life. But, but true joy is a smile from the heart. It's a, recognizing, it's a recognition that, that God is in control no matter what is happening in your life. And you can rest in that. You can look at life as an adventure to live out, seeing what is God going to do next. And if you go through life that way, it, it's filled with a sense of joy. Or you have the poetic definition, which I kind of mangled in this service last Lord's Day, the joy is the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts, announcing that the king is in residence today. And if you picture that, it's a picture of a person that no matter what's happening, whether the castle is being attacked from without, whatever it might be, the king is there. He's in charge. He's the protector and the provider. And no matter what goes on, whether it's 9-11... whatever it might be that we rest not in the power of our own might but in the power of the Lord and it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength if you want to have a a great challenge in life is to go through life rejoicing how often? always Always. having a smile from the heart believing that God God is in control no matter what happens you know, and, and let's be honest, it's the and not so only the big things in life that destroy our joy, but it's a lot of times the little things. And you want to say amen to that? Amen. You know, Saturday, I couldn't find something. You ever lose, anybody ever lose things? Does that ever bother you? Man, it is the thing that just drives me up a wall, you know? And, and you know, let me tell you, I lost my joy for a considerable <laughs> period of time. And, you know, I hate it when people do stupid things around me, but I hate it more when I do the stupid things around me, you know? And you recognize, oh, I can't, you know, and all of a sudden your world's controlled by just can't finding something. Look, at, don't let the circumstances of this world, whether they be frivolous like what robbed me of my joy or whether it be something like 9 11, bring you to the point you don't believe that God is in control. Let the flag fly over your castle of your heart, announcing. To the world and to your own spirit, that the king is in resonance today and he's in control. Amen. This is a model church because it was a place where there was joy, that there was a smile from the heart in his people. And it made a mark. That was the model. That was the example that Paul begins his letter with. And he later on in other passages, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, says, you are my joy because when I think of you, you give me more joy. You multiply my joy. What to look for in church, number one. Is there joy there? Secondly, do the people talk about their faith? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. The next verse, he goes on and says this. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Interesting word that really has the idea of reverberation, uh, kind of the echo effect. You know, you say something, it just echoes farther and farther, farther down the canyon or wherever it might be. Your faith is just spreading, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out. And listen to this commentary so that we do not need to say anything. You know, it's, it's, it's probably the, the, the worst thing a preacher wants to hear. He, he's ready to preach, and he said, well, we don't need you to preach because we've already, what? Heard it, all right? Interesting, though, that was something that did not dissuade the Apostle Paul because in this book, he, he doesn't necessarily always give them new stuff, but five or six times he says, oh, you've heard this before, you've heard this before, you've heard this before. He reminds them of what they already know. But what marks this church as an example is that they talked about their faith. And let me say this now if I don't say it later on. All the things that we're going to look at in the model church is something every church can do. Not every church is going to have the best pastor. Not every church is going to have the best programs. Not every church is going to have the best people. We know every church is not going to be perfect, but every church can be filled with people of joy because that's a matter of faith. Believing that God is in control. Every church can have people that talk about their faith. We had an opportunity yesterday uh, a number of people, some of the youth and some of the adults, went out and just went in the community and and just knocked on doors, and rang doorbells, and just uh, gave some literature out about the church, gave some of the gift bags, and just talked to people. And essentially, the very first person I talked to, this really warmed my heart, is I I, I was introduced to myself, said, hey, we're going, uh, we're from Grace Hills Church, we're just passing out free gifts in the community, and and she looked at me, oh, you know, I haven't found a church yet, and I've heard about you, I've always wanted to try to check you out. Now. At least with her, she had heard about people talking about their faith. She had been given a piece of literature from somebody. And see, that's what, that's what we want to be known as. Is this is a church that, that talks about their faith. And we ought to talk about our faith as we come together. And we ought to talk about our faith when we spread out in the community. We just, we just do it because this is what is important to us. And we just, it just spills out. So much so that other people don't have to talk about our faith for us. We talk about our faith because we're excited about what God has done in our life. It's interesting. Their faith was local and global. It was in their community. It was in their surrounding areas. And then it was going out into the entire world. And that's why every healthy church not only needs to be involved locally, but nationally nationally. And internationally, if you look at what we do in our missions, we do all of that. We support missions in our nation, outside of our specific community, and then we also do it internationally. And that is a church, that's a model church, saying that our faith is not only we ought to keep our faith, we need to give it away. So what's a church that you ought to look for? A church that has joy. People, people are joyful there. It's a place where people talk about their faith. And thirdly, it's a place, and this is one. This is one I don't have to get motivated. It's a place in which the people have a love for the Word of God. I, I so like the way Paul wrote about this church. It's recorded in First Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. He says, "For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing." There were a number of people on Paul's prayer list as we looked at the church in Philippi. When he prayed for them, it, it, he didn't have to be motivated because he, they just the thought of them produced thanksgiving. But what what was he thankful for them about? Well, here he, he identifies it very plainly. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, what? The word of God. Which also effectively works in you who believe. Now, that's a... That's a mouthful in one sentence. But it describes the kind of people that that we need to be. That the word of God is, is not something that is on the lower end of our reading list. That of all the things, whether it's in a book form, a magazine form, a newspaper, or now for us, internet... What gets a higher priority in terms of our reading list? I mean, just think about it for the moment. They welcomed it, not just as any other literature, not as even just a a compilation of wise sayings. They saw this as as what it is. It's, It's not only the truth, and all truth is God's truth, but this is truth from the words of God. I was hearing something just recently, and, and they were talking about how worshipful it was for scribes in the days of God's covenant people, Israel, as they recorded the, the words of, of Moses and the other prophets. And, and they, would, they would make copies of the original writings of the men moved by God to, to have a record of what God has said. And they so valued it as coming from God that they would be so careful about how they would write every letter to make sure they got it right. And not from that particular source, but other sources I've read where they said that after they would write a line, they would count the letters to make sure they had the same amount of letters as the amount of letters that was in the copy that they were recording. But one habit of some scribal... People who would record, make copies of the Word of God that after they would write every Hebrew letter, they would go take a bath before they write the next letter. Now, that would take a long time to write the Old Testament. But they saw it as, as no other greater privilege than to actually have the privilege of recording a copy of what God had said. Now, we need to understand that when Jesus came, he said, I'm going I'm to not abolish the word of God or the law. I'm going to fulfill it. Every little jot and tittle, which is a, a Hebrew way of saying every little mark that distinguishes one letter from the other letter. And this is not that we are to, to worship the Bible and make it an, an idol for us, but it is to say that we have in our hands or our smartphones, or however you now look at the Word of God. A message from the divine creator of this universe. And that when we're hearing from Him, this is, this is a message that God unfolded for us to know His mind and to understand how He has worked with people down through the ages. The Word of God says so much about what it will do for us. Jesus said, if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training and how we ought to live in righteousness that we might be adequate for everything God wants us to do. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, how can a person keep his way Pure. Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. I I like that idea that translator says Thy word have I treasured in my heart. You know, we we can memorize the word of God like it's a phone book and have all the numbers down and all the, the, the words down, but to cherish this as something that God has given us so we might know him, know him deeply, understand the significance of life. Now, the simple point there is that a model church is a place where people have joy. They talk about the faith, but they have an attitude for the word of God as it is that it's a message from him. And we love spending time in it to know him and know his plan for our life. And again, this is doable. It's a matter of the heart. Do we love what God has said? Fourthly, a model church, a church we ought to look for, but a church we want to be. We want to be part of that company that desires to be joyful, to talk about our faith, to love the word of God. But also, it's a place where people love people. Is there a love for people? Look at First Thessalonians 3, verse 12. Paul writes, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. And so the the challenge there is that God wanted his people to love. Uh, Turning over just briefly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he he has the same theme. He says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And then he says in verse 10, But indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Which means we never finish this course in God's university. No matter where we are with love, we can still be better at it. We can be more faithful. We can be more committed we can more demonstrate the attributes of what true love is about to the people around us. We can love not only those who love us, but love those who don't love us in return. Remember that passage in 1 Corinthians 13? You know, love is not natural. It's supernatural, God's way. Love suffers long, or what many translations say, love is patient. You know, I'm really love. I'm pretty loving until my patience runs out, right? (laughs) Love is kind. Well, you know, I'm pretty kind until I'm feeling I'm not being kind, people aren't being kind in return to me. It goes on, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it's not puffed up. You know, love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, It's not provoked. thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails and so, as we think about the call to love, God wants us to reflect the kind of love he loves us with to be marked as Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another and so as you think about What a great church is. It's not about the pastor, about the people, about the programs. We know it's not about perfection, but it's about a heart committed to experience that which God wants to give us, which is His joy. It's talking about that which is most important, which is our faith. It's loving that which God has given us, which is His word. It's desiring to be what God wants us to be, which is people who love those around us. And then fifthly, it's a, it's a people that, that love to do or are committed to do the will of God. Now, this is a sermon in itself, and I've already spent too much time on the other points, but do we really want to do God's will? Look at what he says in 1st lesson in chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And that word sanctification is a fancy word to simply say this. Our lives ought to be different. It shouldn't be just like everybody else. We ought to be marked by our lives have a different agenda, which is, which is God's agenda. And then he gets very specific, and we think, think that's too general. He says that you should abstain from sexual immorality. You know what sexual immorality means? It means sexual immorality. It, it's, it's doing that which we know does not honor God, which is not right, but is wrong. He, he, he writes that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, which is a word for our body, in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Yeah, again, that purity is, is something a whole series of messages could be on. But just to simply say this, this is, the reason we want to be pure is because this is God's will for us. You know who Woody Allen is? Woody Allen's, uh, you know, director, producer, actor. But he he really talking about a model church. He's kind of the the model person who who has no clue who God is, who, who's living like the selfish gene that Richard Dawkins talks about. Uh, he's been married multiple times. He was married to someone uh, for a period of time and. She had an adopted daughter, I don't know if some of you might remember the story, and decided to have relations with her. I mean, who does that? I mean, even in Paul's day, they said, you know, that's not even what the world does. But I mean, he, he had sexual relationships with his daughter. When they asked him why, this is, this is the quote, this is, this is what he said. Really short response. Why did you do that? And he says, the heart wants what it wants. Which somebody said, that was, that was my passion at the moment, so I just fulfilled it. And why we do most of what we do is because we want to do it. It feels like, feels good, let's, let's do it. And when we recognize that the reason God has put sexual standards for our lives is because he's created us, he knows what's good for us. And when we mess with those things, it messes us up. And not only up, but it's not a, it's not a private activity it it has its ripples effect and and he wants to save us from that now he can forgive and he restores but he said i'd rather have preventative medicine for you but and and like this this is just like when woody Allen this is not a teenage temptation this is this is happening rampantly in our culture but let me just tell you, this is not a new thing. This, is, this has happened down through the ages. In fact, when, when Christians started to live this way, it was radical in the Roman Empire. I mean, the adultery, prostitution, homosexuality, sexual promiscuity, that was just everywhere. In fact, one source I read this week, they said, they, they used a word I didn't even know. Uh, I, I wrote it down, and I had to look it up. It said, uh, pedastory. How many know what that word means? Jeannie in the second circle, she knows every word ever written out. But, uh, but you know, I had to look that up. Now, I, I know other words that actually said the same thing, but it was basically, it was uh, adult males having sex with little kids. It was rampant in that day. And, and so when Paul pleaded, he said, and look, at, don't be like them. Do the will of God. And, and so as we think about... Living for God. We want to be people who are serious about the will of God in every part of our life. And he just na- nailed this one because it was rampant then, but it, it happens in the life of the church as well. And it's not the point of condemning as worse than anybody else, but don't be involved in that which destroys lives. So, so what's, what's a model church? A model church is a church that, that people have joy because God's in control and, and, and he's, he's ruling in their life. It's a, it's, a, it's a people who who really uh, talk about their faith, who have a love for the Word of God, who have a love uh, for people, who, who want to do the will of God in every area. And, and this is the one I was going to spend a lot of time on, but uh, this is a people that have an anticipation of Jesus coming again. And this is what... Paul wrote, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, which is actually the Latin word there for caught up uh, is the word rapture. They will be raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, actually, next Lord's Day, uh, uh, we'll be talking about 2 Thessalonians. In fact, this week, the homework is to read 2 Thessalonians. All right? And we'll talk more about the second coming. But the, the idea here is, is, for God's people, this should not catch us by surprise. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen, but it's going to come in a time when we don't know for sure, but we ought to be anticipating it. And that's the idea, is that we ought to be a second coming people looking for when Jesus comes again. Now, too often, we, we, don't, re, we don't remember that the truth is he came the first time, he's coming the second time. We ought to be that proverbial young child when it's, when it's now uh, September and we can't wait for Christmas to be here. Now, all of us adults, we have to buy all the gifts. We're hoping Christmas never comes, right? But for the little child, they can't wait for it to happen. And, and that's how we ought to be, longing for his return. Because when that happens, then all those things in this life that seem overwhelming, how, how important thats that, that going to be if we know he's coming tomorrow or today or before this message is over? And so we want to live in light of Jesus coming again. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 10 that he was, they were waiting for the coming of Jesus. Remember that time maybe you had some friends coming over and uh, maybe some relatives, depending if they're relatives you like or not dislike, but you know, you know they're coming, but you don't know exactly when. And so you're, the door's open and you're sitting at the point where you can see and so when they drive up, man, you're not waiting for them to come to the door. Man, you're just out there because you just can't wait till they come. We ought to be a people that are longing and anticipating Jesus coming. What's the model church? The model church is not the pastor, it's not the program, it's not the people. It's not because of perfection. It's because they have the joy of the Lord. They talk about their faith. They love the Word of God. They love people. They have a commitment to do the will of God, and they're looking for Jesus to return. The so what this morning very simple is that every church can be a great church if they believe what God has called them to be. Let's pray. Father, we want to be marked as a people that make an impression because of what you've done in our lives. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, I pray that they might recognize that true joy only comes from a right relationship with you. And the only way to look forward to Jesus coming again is, is really believing what he did the time he came the first time. He came to forgive us of our sin, and to give us a new life as he invades our life with his presence. Father, as we continue to worship this morning, might we recognize that you have a plan for us to live out. Help us to do it full faith and confidence that what you have said to us is true. And we breathe this in Jesus' name. Amen.